Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Not I'm sorry, Father, but forgive me. Why is it so hard for a doctor to say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Rabbi Erwin Kula. Rabbi Kula is the president of CLAL, the National Jewish Center for Learning and Leadership, a leadership training institute, think tank, and resource center located in New York City. Known as both a provocative religious leader and a respected spiritual iconoclast, Rabbi Kula was ranked number eight in Newsweek's list of top 50 rabbis in America. He is the author of several books, a film, and has appeared on The Today Show and on Oprah. Welcome, Rabbi Kula. I appreciate your taking the time to join us today at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks. It's great to be here. Gotta ask, what is a spiritual iconoclast? <laughs> oh, God. And so embarrassing. Someone else, you know, I have a public relations person, and, you know, they begin to write stuff. I don't know. A spiritual iconoclast. It's a way to get someone to ask, what's a spiritual iconoclast? I'm interested in him. <laughs> That's great. Um... Transparency, disclosure, sorry works are buzzwords in medical risk management. Everybody's talking about the malpractice crisis and ways to keep patients from suing us. From one of your talks, you made a statement that said, the openness of America invites us to bring our traditions to the marketplace of ideas. The challenge is to translate these wisdoms into accessible American idioms that inspire and improve our personal and public lives. These are the things we're talking about. Transparency, coming to the patient, improving our life by maintaining relationships with the patients. So let me run with this idea. It seems to me that it takes more guts to ask God than to ask a patient for forgiveness. So why is it so hard for a doctor to say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness? Oh, gosh. There's a lot of levels to that question. No, feel uh, free. <laughs> show well, is yours. All, I'd say it shows that we believe other people are much closer to God than God, which is why it's so easy to ask God for forgiveness, because actually we don't really believe. If we really believed in the God who granted forgiveness and held us accountable, it would be really, really hard to ask forgiveness. But that's become so formalistic that God has become a giant lip service game for most of us. Let's hold the God part, and let's okay. talk about the real God part, which is the images of God right in front of us, if I can use religious language. Please. And the images of God right in front of us are our fellow human beings. And that's where the rubber really meets the road in whatever it is we talk about regarding God. So why is it so hard? It is always difficult for more powerful people to be vulnerable to less powerful people. And it turns out it's not only a doctor-patient relationship, any relationship, lawyer-client, it doesn't make a difference what rabbi-congregant, priest-layperson, whatever relationship where the power differential, a parent-child, wherever the power differential is significant, the more powerful, because their identity is vested in that power arrangement, even if it's subconsciously or unconsciously, it's very hard to become vulnerable. And you cannot ask for forgiveness, yet alone feel forgiven, without making yourself vulnerable. There are feelings of guilt, feeling badly when you, something happens to a patient. How does that affect the ability to say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness? Well, ideally, actually, feeling badly is one of the stages in being able to ask for forgiveness. I would call feeling badly a sense of regret. And even if one says, I'm sorry, one's not asking for forgiveness until one actually regrets what one does. Now, there's a difference between guilt and regret and shame. 
Guilt and regret is generative. In other words, it actually invites us to grow and take accountability. How can we come to appreciate that? I think people feel badly, they feel guilty, and they shrink back. Now, here's the paradox of any kind of spiritual yearning or spiritual need. Look, we'll call the spiritual need here, or the psycho-spiritual need, we'll call it, to be forgiven or to ask for forgiveness. Here's the paradox. There's only one way to get good at it. Practice. And this is what we don't, we're not honest with people about. Asking for forgiveness and becoming good at it, in other words, not simply saying I'm sorry or not simply feeling bad, beating oneself up and never saying I'm sorry. The only way to become good at it is no different than becoming a good foul shooter or becoming a good pianist or becoming a good dancer. You simply will not become a good foul shooter. I don't care how talented you are until you take 200 foul shots a day for three or four years, and then you will become a good foul shooter. Well, I hope doctors don't learn that by practicing on patients that have suffered a an adverse event, as we say. Yeah. Well, you know what the difference is? In the end, asking for forgiveness is a million times more important than being a good foul shooter. And it happens much less. In other words, so, but we can practice small. You don't want to practice the first time on a life and death mistake. You want to build a kind of what I call forgiveness capital, because you can't give away something that you don't have. So you have to begin and create a forgiveness capital. So you start by the small things that are a part of daily life. It's not about whether you've made a mistake in the surgery. It's cutting off a colleague at work, being late and making someone wait, not returning a phone call, sending a blunt or harshly written email, forgetting to send someone a book or a phone number, being so self-absorbed that 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 orderly that comes by or that nurse that comes by, you don't, you know, give the time of day. It's those small things that happen in everyone's life is where we begin. Because when we become numb to that, it's really easy to become numb to the bigger things or the bigger things blow us out of the water, one or the other. When we become sensitive, or what I would call observant, but this is a forgiveness morally observant, of our behavior, and begin to practice in the small things, then we're very prepared for the big things. Guilt is one thing. Fear is another. There was an article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine by Tom Delbanco and Seagal Bell. Title was Guilty, Afraid, and Alone, Struggling with Medical Error. You feel guilty but you're afraid to say something. Is there a way that we could learn to overcome the fear? There's nothing to fear but fear itself and all that other stuff. Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of things we need to do. I mean, let's start with our own fear. It is important to actually sometimes feel afraid. And rather than fight being afraid, it's to say, okay, the part of the process that's involved in asking for forgiveness, which is taking accountability. Taking accountability is scary. It is always scary to be accountable for one's life. So there's nothing wrong with feeling the fear and kind of hanging in it for a second and and then asking, now what am I really afraid of? And when you ask that question, and that's why the realization, regret, part of the forgiveness process comes before actually repairing it. When you hang in the I'm afraid piece, here's I imagine some of the things that a doctor learns just like a rabbi learns when he or she makes a mistake and really hurts someone in their spiritual life. It's, oh my God, I didn't realize how much of who I am was caught up in my image of being perfect. And what I'm really scared of is, who am I if I'm not a perfect person? That's really scary. 
And when we learn that most of the fears are internally produced, the fears begin to dissolve because they're not intrinsic to who we are. Now, there are also other kinds of fears that this larger society needs to address or doctors will be in this very difficult place. Because remember, everything is interdependent. Doctors becoming afraid to ask for forgiveness is not simply a feature of doctors themselves. There are causes and results and causes and results. Amongst the causes are a society that believes that every mistake someone must lose big time. Now, no one can live that way. No one can live with that level of punishment for mistakes. And that's what it means to be in a digital society. Our society is out of control and assumes you make a mistake, I can collect on your mistake. I mean, that's certainly true in medicine where perfection is expected and anything that deviates from that is automatically an error. How can we as physicians, as a medical system, evoke a change? First of all, I think that's from the ground up. We're in medical schools. We need to begin to remind people that there is a real significant margin of error, and you need to own that error. Then we need to begin to talk about errors and mistakes in the public culture. It would be really good if once a month, whether it's a CNN or it's the New York Times medical health page, that once a month there was a doctor who was able to write about the real mistakes we make. And two things. One, how those mistakes really burden us because we know our mistakes are really serious. You can't use an excuse kind of like, well, President Bush said, they just told me that Iran doesn't have a nuclear arms policy. I mean, you can't just sort of say, well, I didn't know there was a mistake. You've got to jump in there and own it, huh? You've got to take accountability. It's always in the eye, okay? Yeah. There may be systemic issues, but within the systemic issue, within the problem in the system, within things that I couldn't control... I must take accountability for the part that I can't control. Let me flip it for a second. And that is, from the patient's perspective, they're expecting perfection. Don't we, as be it a society or physicians, need to educate the patients that things aren't perfect, that things go wrong? And that's very hard to do. That's what rabbis have to do that, and teachers have to do that, and parents have to do it. Parents, at some point early on, maybe not at two years old and four years old, but by the time a kid's in school and comes home and knows, wow, you know, people do bad things and, and my parents can't be perfect, we have to disabuse and deconstruct the idealizations. Now, we have to do it in an accountable way also because we also need to idealize. I don't want to know at six years old that my parent has all the foibles that they do. I don't need to know that yet at six, so it has to be age and context appropriate. But to simply allow patients to feel that my doctor is perfect, and think about the language that we use. I know, you know, I live in a high-end community, and the high-end community, when it comes to seeing a doctor, Everybody on the high end always seems to find the best doctor. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and we have to have doctors disabuse people of that a little bit. There are a lot of best doctors. Now, I understand there are better clinicians and less good. There are better surgeons and less surgeons, but it's not that there's one top. Well, that's why I always tell my patients that I'm the second best pediatrician. And they'll say, well, why are you only the second best? I said, well, you know, if you live in the next town, they've got the best pediatrician. And if you go to Children's Memorial Hospital... They're the best pediatrician. So the best is always regional. The second best is national. Everybody knows who's second best. So I want to be second great. best. Look, what you just did is it sounds like what you did. You know, a listener may think, how cute. It's not <laughs> true. You just developed 
in another language, a liturgical practice. Okay? Oh, what you did is you said, when someone asks me a question that I know can produce, in religious language, an idolatrous answer, I have a different liturgy. I have a different sacred statement, I say, that teaches, that's wise, and reminds more than anybody, myself, who I actually am. Great note to end on. I'd like to thank Rabbi Erwin Kula, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing overcoming the fear, the discomfort of saying I'm sorry, and asking for forgiveness. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD to access our new on-demand and podcast features, which give you access to our entire program library. I wish you good day and good health.